Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. It's going to hurt me a hell of a lot more than it hurts anybody else. It brings me absolutely no pleasure to do this. But since I'm currently getting bombarded with it on the X and everywhere else, here it goes. It's coming to you in three, two, one, mark. If you're getting ready for work right now, then you're probably not Josh McDaniels or Dave Ziegler or Jimmy right Garoppolo now, not or Mick Lombardi. Right now, then you're probably not Doug you're getting ready for work right because now, as of the middle of last night, a number of these dudes have been relieved of their duties in a Las Vegas Halloween night massacre. A move that was somehow both stunning and the least surprising thing ever. Why don't we just talk mostly about, and I'll get to Garoppolo, but let's talk mostly about Josh and Ziegler. Nobody who watched that team melt down on Monday night can really be all that surprised that this is how this is going. I mean, it's never good when things are so frustrating and so toxic and so off the rails that your superstar player doesn't even have words after a Monday night beatdown to describe what's going on or what just happened. I honestly, I, I don't know what to say at this moment. I, I truly don't. I wish I had the, the words to, you know, to say something that's not going to get blown up in the media and, and taken out of context. So I'm going to just... I, I truly, I just don't know. What are you feeling right now? Can you elaborate on anything going through your mind? Frustration, but I mean, that's that kind of goes without saying. I think Devonte said it best when he said, "I don't want to say anything that's going to get blown up in the media or taken out of context." So it's not that he didn't know. Oh, he knew. <laughs> he knew. He just knew better than to say it. And then by not saying it, he actually said plenty. It spoke volumes. So, Buddy said, it's not my job. At least Josh McDaniels now gets to say the exact same thing that Josh Jacobs said on Monday night about fixing the problems with the Raider offense. Jacobs actually was the one who said, not my job. You say it's got to be better. Do you have any ideas or anything you think that could, could spark the offense going forward? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That ain't my job. That ain't my job. Mm-hmm. Josh Jacobs, by the way, is a really upbeat, energetic guy. And you could just see how beaten down he was, too. Mm-hmm. Mm, not my job. Mm-hmm. Thing is, my job. and I hate this, I, I can't push back against it. I just don't like it. But it's no longer Josh McDaniel's job either. And after the way he's been coaching this offense... And this team, frankly, and again, it hurts me to say it, but it's true, it shouldn't be his job anymore. Now, I want to say this. There have been coaches with worse records that got to keep their job. I'm not saying that he didn't get what he deserved. I'm saying there are other guys that have had worse records that have kept their job. But it's hard for me to argue that he should keep his. And this is coming from somebody who thought the hire was a good idea. I'll admit it. I love the guy. And I did love the hire. And I thought that he earned that shot. And I was convinced that he would thrive with a second opportunity to be a head coach. I mean, I really, really thought that he would. That he had gone to school over what he did wrong in Denver a decade back. That he was finally ready to take advantage of this opportunity. And that it was a pretty good opportunity. Yet I was wrong. And apparently Mark Davis thought that he made a mistake as well. 
if he's whacking a dude who didn't make it through the second year of a six-year deal, that's Davis saying, I made a big mistake. I made a big mistake, and I'm going to fix it right now because this team is unwatchable. And it's not getting better. If anything, it's getting worse. And I am sick of Raider fan getting up in my face, F-bombing me at games, and at my WNBA championship parade, and telling me that I've got to fire Josh. It's like the bleeping canning isn't the shocker. The shocker is that somehow Josh McDaniels lasted longer in Denver than he did in Vegas by 55 days. Can we do a, a really quick stop on that? He was in so over his head in Denver, right? And then had to wait a decade to get another opportunity and yet lasted longer in Denver than in Vegas. Like things went worse in Vegas than they did for in Denver for him. That is the most shocking thing of all. He won two more games and he had a better winning percentage in Denver than he had in Vegas. Like the big picture here is somehow Josh was even worse the second time around. And again, I hate the whole thing about it, but it's true. He inherited a playoff team in Vegas. And I hate to say it, but literally every major decision that he and Ziegler made ended up blowing up in their grills. Like, I've never seen so many big decisions come back to bite a regime in the ass the way they did the McDaniel-Ziegler regime. I mean, where do you even start? He inherited a quarterback who was solid, if not great, ran him out of town, replaced him with a, qu- replaced him with a quarterback who is terrible if not the worst quarterback in the league this season. And by the way, Jimmy Garoppolo already lost his job. They've already benched him this morning. They're going to go with the Rook instead. So he gets rid of Carr, brings in Garoppolo. Garoppolo right now is actually the worst quarterback in the league. His big non-quarterback acquisitions were Devontae Adams, a dude that he could not figure out how to get the ball to consistently. Chandler Jones a dude who's not on the team anymore, and also accused Josh of having Aaron Hernandez killed in an industrial park. Not to mention, they routinely suffered some of the most embarrassing losses in the history of that franchise. I mean, remember, the hot-taking pancake flipper who was hired in Indy beat them. They lost to the pancake flipper. That was the only game he won as Colts head coach. That was Jeff Saturday's only win. Also, let's not forget, Baker Mayfield joined the Rams midweek, had barely even put his face in the playbook, and he beat the Raiders. Hell, the Raiders lost recently to a Bears team that was quarterbacked by an undrafted NFL free agent who played his ball at a D2 school that nobody's even heard of. And then they got knocked the hell out by Detroit on Monday night. Like, I so badly want to have my guys back. I do. I just can't. Because when you take all of that together, and there's more, that's not even all of it. But even when you take that together, you start to wonder how this stint in Vegas could have possibly gone any worse than it did. McDaniels now becomes the only non-interim head coach in the Super Bowl era to be fired by two different franchises before the end of his second season with each. And he just got run with four years plus left on that contract. Remember, bowl cut still owes the rest of that John Gruden settlement over whatever was left on that 10-year, $100 million deal that he threw Chucky back in 2018. So in other words, 
Right. Hindsight is 50-50. In other words, bowl cut is going to be spending the next few years paying out a fortune to a couple of head coaches who aren't even coaching the team anymore. And this is the same dude who had the nerve to yell at his own paying customers, hey, smarten up. Smarten up. Hey, bowl cut. Raider Nation had the exact same message for you. Smarten up. And apparently they were right and you were wrong. Raider Nation, way ahead of you, bowl cut, when it came to realizing that Josh was not the right dude for the team. You probably should have just listened to them instead of telling them to smarten up. Hate to say it, but you can't tell me that didn't factor in. When Raider fan is rolling up on this guy, getting in his face, F-bombing him, and screaming in his face, fire McDaniels, I'm guessing that had some sort of impact on him. I mean, listen to the sheer disgust, the vitriol, the acrimony, the malice. I mean, normally those are the words you use to describe Raider fan anyway. But especially in this case, I mean, the insane thing, the insane thing about this is the McDaniels-Ziegler tenure might be making Raider fan pine for the glory days of Gruden and Mayock. It was that bad. So now what? Now what? So now Champ Kelly takes over as the interim GM, former Giants linebacker, and former Long Beach Poly head coach Antonio Pierce takes over as interim head coach. But don't get it twisted. I don't think that's some kind of pancake-flipping, talking-head scenario. Like, they didn't pull Pierce out of a TV studio. They didn't pull him off a high school sideline. They did promote him from their own staff. I'm not saying that it's his job to lose. Far from it. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper or What's Your Beef. After all, they had done this before. They made the playoffs and Rich Bisaccia didn't get the job. But at least he's already there, Pierce. At least he's in his second season on NFL sideline. At least the guys in that locker room know him already and respect him. At least he hasn't been in Bristol flipping pancakes and firing off hot takes. Like, I don't know who's going to call the plays offensively. Not Pierce. That's something else they have to deal with. I mean, I can't say how much I hate having to do this. I hate this. I hate having to do this, but it's my job. 
And I hate it because of how strongly I feel about Josh McDee, a, a cloned heart and a jungle legend. But I do have a job to do, and that job would include me saying things like the following. Josh should be really thankful that Coach Wednesday, the pancake flipper, and Pervin Liar do exist. Because if they didn't, we might be calling Josh the worst NFL head coach of all time right now. Oh my God, I hate myself for saying that. But I got a job to do. Also, this all, it doesn't just reflect poorly on Josh and the Raiders and the bowl cut. It also reflects terribly, of course, on the Hoodman. Another stain on the Hoodman tree, which has essentially zero success stories. There are zero thriving branches from that Hoodman tree. No Belichick assistant has succeeded without Bacon 46. Hell, Belichick himself has not succeeded without Bacon 46. <laughs> so can we maybe stop throwing jobs at hoodie assistants now? And we should also probably end the conversation about my dude Josh as a head coach ever again. Because remember this. This is something else key. In between those two catastrophic failures, he quit on the Colts the same day that they announced him as their head coach. Somehow he was able to overcome that and get another opportunity. But now these two things taken together, and then on top of that, his Denver Broncos tenure, hard for me to make an argument that he ever gets another look as a head coach ever again. Great offensive mind, great offensive coordinator, but who's going to throw this dude the keys knowing the way it went the first three times? I don't think a fourth one's going to fall for it. So, what's next for the Raiders? Your guess is as good as Mark Davis's, and clearly that dude's got no idea what the hell is going on. The Raiders will go as the autumn wind takes them. The Raiders will go as the autumn wind blows. And right now, it seems like it's blowing them straight towards their next mistake. Jim Harbaugh. Raider Nation, I hope that's not where the autumn wind blows y'all. But nothing at all would surprise me from the bowl cut and this sorry crew. Tell that clone to get a life. How about that story breaking and dropping in the middle of the night? Dropping news in the middle of the night. Hey, can we do it now, boss? Nope. 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 Still too early. Yeah, but boss, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. Nope. Still too early. Let's drop that thing in the middle of the night. Not only the middle of the night, but the middle of Halloween night. Dropping news in the middle of the night is the new Friday news dump. And I love it. Hey, believe me, I'd rather get it in the middle of the night than, like, say, a woge bomb at 8.59 a.m. Or during a Vikings interview like Cam Bynum, like yesterday. The Harden trade dared everybody to top that magic. And then the Raiders went out and they did. Doubtful, but I'm hoping that Mark... Pulls a page from his pop. I hope he goes full on Al. Calls for a news conference. Breaks out the overhead projector and the transparencies. Blows off the dust from those plastic sheets. And admits that he wanted to make it work, but he made a mistake. Who will ever forget that? Kind of surprised he broke them off at the same time, though. The coach and the GM. I mean, don't these things come in threes? If you're going to fire these guys for performance, make it a sombrero. Make it a trifecta. 
Fire your head coach, your GM, and your barber. Hey-oh! Actually, it kind of did go as a trifecta. They fired their coach. They fired their GM. They fired their OC. And then they benched their quarterback. Bench the Garoppolo. Bench the salt. So Raider fans are celebrating like they won back-to-back Super Bowls. McDaniels will be fine. He may never be a head coach again in the NFL. But the guy that you glossed, McDummy and McDumbass, still has another four years of checks coming from the Raider organization. So why don't you start some other hashtags? Why don't you see if you can get the following to trend? Things like McProfits, McCompound Interest, McBank Statements, McCash. Mm. Mm. So, on the one hand, pretty stunning, and on the other hand, really not that surprising at all. Clearly, the bowl cut had had enough. And you don't- he had seen enough. And he wants to get ahead of the next hiring curve. Hey there, let me talk to you for a minute about HelloFresh. HelloFresh is where you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your front door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Listen, a crazy schedule can make it easy to fall back into your dinnertime recipe rut. Keep mealtime exciting with over 40 recipes to choose from every single week so there is always something delicious to discover with HelloFresh. And with so many in-season ingredients, you'll taste all the freshness of fall in every single bite of HelloFresh's chef-crafted recipes. Produce travels from the farm to your door for peak ripeness that you can taste. Given my schedule, I absolutely love HelloFresh. I love how fresh it is. I love the options it gives me. And I know that I'm eating well and it tastes incredible. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Roam and use the code 50Roam for 50% off plus free shipping. Once again, HelloFresh.com slash 50Rome. Use that code 50Roam and get 50% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh is awesome. In fact, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. We are joined by Terrell Suggs, T-Sizzle. My dude, it has been a minute. It is great to visit with you, man. How you living? I'm living good, baby. Loving it. Loving it. Loving it out here in sunny uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, man. That is a good place to be. So bring me up today, man. What's keeping you busy these days? And what have your post-playing days been like for you? What's keeping me busy? Parenting. I get to get to be a dad. You know, my daughter, she's a, she's a sophomore, 6'2", actually. She just turned 16 years old, 6'2", 6 feet 2 inches, basketball player. My son, he's six foot freshman. So just parenting, man, going to basketball games and all of that. That's the best and stuff. my post-playing days, yeah, is, yeah is, that's the best stuff right there. <laughs> my post-playing days is definitely being a parent. Terrell Suggs joining us really quickly, dude. What about your daughter, man? Does she have that T-sizzle intimidation factor? Like, what is she like on the hardwood? Oh, man. She, she's ferocious, man. She's a, she's a monster, you know, especially when she get down there on that block. <laughs> you know, so uh, uh, she definitely got the T-sizzle the factor. But I think she's trying to, 
you know, make a little start her own little wave. I don't think she she she's not gonna take on the sizzle name. She's probably gonna get her own start her own little brand thing, you know, and and become whatever she wants because she she's killing it right now. Good. Like to hear it. Terrell Suggs joining us. So take me back. You were in Baltimore about a week and a half ago to get inducted into the Ravens Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. What did that represent to you and how special was that entire day? Man, the, it was it was very overwhelming. Like I was truly flattered and humble, you know what I mean, to be just be up there with the, you know, with the Raven greats. You know what I mean? You always, you know, you hear the, the discussions and the debates. You know uh, who would be uh, on uh, Mount Rushmore of of Ravens, and uh, I guess you know this kind of gets me a bit. But sooner sooner than later, I'm pretty sure Lamar's gonna probably knock me off, and it's just gonna be Jo Ray Ed and probably Lamar. But you know, right now I'll, I'll I'm gladly gonna take that fourth spot. So you no, you're there. In fact, my question would be to you, like when you were drafted by the Ravens, obviously you had confidence when you walked into that facility. But when you walked into the facility for the first time, did you ever in your wildest dreams think that you would end up on that Mount Rushmore, that you would go down as one of the greatest players in Ravens history? No, never. I mean, you want to, but, you know, you got to you got to remember the instant you walk in the locker room, you in there with three Hall of Famers already. You know, we had Jonathan Ogden, uh, of course. And, then, you know, me being a defensive player, being on the same defense with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and Peter Boulware and Dallas Thomas, just to name a few. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like you check, you definitely check your ego at the door and you just come to work, man. And it was a truly flattering, humbling experience to play with those guys, be in the same locker room with those guys and, you know, to be – Consider, you know, amongst, you know, those greats, man, it's it's like mind-blowing. It's, it's, it's bigger than I can ever imagine. We're talking to Terrell Suggs. I know there's a lot of guys that would say the same thing about sharing a locker room with you. You know, dude, it's kind of hard to even think of you as a rookie because you're always such an intimidating, dominant, physical force. But I'm curious, when you go back to those early days when you first became an NFL player, what was your actual welcome to the NFL moment? Did it happen on the field or off or what? It happened off the field. Uh, first day of training camp, you know, Ray Lewis uh, threw a pie in my face, uh, I guess, on TV. So I guess it can't get more welcome to the NFL than that. Uh, but it started out like that. And I guess uh, my first game against our division rival, Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, that was definitely a welcome to the NFL moment, too. And, I, I you know, I popped my cherry that game. Got a, got a first sack, you know, got my first sack. uh <laughs> In my first game in the NFL, so I didn't have to wait too long. So that's always a good welcome to the NFL moment, too. My brother, that was extremely descriptive. We're talking to Terrell Suggs right now. You know what? You mentioned <laughs> the Steelers, dude. Like, for those who don't know, they, they, it was a different day. It was a different game. Everything was different. How fierce yeah. was that rivalry back then, and how physical were those matchups? It, man... We trained in the off season because we had to play the Steelers twice, you know, in the season. Most of the times we played them three times because we'll end up facing them in the playoffs. So uh, when you got when you got two physical teams like that, it, it's always gonna get physical and 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 it's go the the hits the the physicality and the hits were were like none other. Like we don't have that in the game today. 
You know what I'm saying? But uh, like you, you had to been there. You had to been there for those games, those intense rivalry games. That's that's what football is about. Terrell Suggs joining us. That's why I asked you that question because it, it's different now. Let me ask you this. You mentioned a number of your former teammates. I want to ask you about another guy, Haloti Nada. He, to me, was one of the most unique players I have ever seen. What was he like to play alongside? It was it was it was great to play alongside. Like uh he always command double teams, which means you're probably I was probably gonna be single because me and him was on the same side um our whole career. Uh, he was just a dominant force, man. He was a big, gentle giant, and he was our enforcer. So, you know, we all got to play a long time because we had, you know, Haloti on our defensive line and, and playing. He was playing in front of Ray and playing next to me. So he definitely extended our careers. And, uh, man, he was just a dominant a dominant guy. Like, he, would, he I think he would get more appreciation if he was a big sack guy, but – you know, he was just more on enforcing his will, his power and dominance. So, like, Haloti, man, he, he don't get enough credit, if you ask me. What about Ray, dude? Like, what was it like playing with Ray? Because, man, he just was so intense and so energetic and always up in your grill and such an amazing player. Did it always motivate you or at times did it start to wear you out? No, it always motivated you. You know, that's our general. And um, when you have a leader like that, especially on the defensive side of the ball, like when you got your general, your leader, you always got a chance to win a game by his play. Like we were in every game because we had Ray Lewis. So like that definitely motivated not just myself, but the team and not just that. This man literally took a whole city and, and put it on its back, not just an organization, but a city. You know what I mean? Like when you think of Baltimore, you think of really only one name comes to mind, and that is Ray Lewis. You know what I mean? And uh, to have, you know, that man as your general, he's in the middle of your defense and every day. And it's not just, you know, with his play, it's also in his preparation and not just his preparation during the season. This is preparation in the offseason and, you know, his 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 responsibility his uh, his allegiance to you like he called me two weeks after you know our season ended one time and asked me was I working out and I was like no right I'm on a beach I'm not you know trying to climb count Mount Kilimanjaro like he he was doing in the whole season so you know what I mean to have you know that guy kind of be the the the, the center point of your defense it's it's a great thing to have you know he's up there with you know, the greatest of all times, like, you know, the quarterback that was in New England and, uh, you know, the Michael Jordans of the world. My dude, it, at what point in time are you going to reference that quarterback in New England by his name ever? I, I don't care personally. I think it's kind of hilarious. I don't hilarious. know, man. It's, a, it's always it's, – it's a sensitive subject for me. It's a sensitive subject for me. You know, he got I seven rings. I got two. You know, he's a quarterback. You know, he dates supermodels and all of that. You know what I mean? And I'm just dad here in Arizona. So 
<laughs> I see you working. Except but you're you still, know, sit nah, dude, you're it. still te- your tea sizzle, your tea sizzle in Arizona with a couple of rings, and you're going to end up with one of those mustard with blazers one day. You're all good, dude. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned Ray Lewis and how he's the one guy who like is singularly identified with not only the organization but the city. I would say, I mean, you played. I said this at mm-hmm. the top. You played 16 of your 17 years with the Ravens. I know you would have loved to have spent your entire mm-hmm. career there, but you had a powerful reason for not doing so. And something you really haven't talked a lot about. Yeah. Why did you spend that one year with Arizona and not your entire career with the Ravens? Yeah. Um, you know, I had to. I, I had to come home. I had to come home, and um, you know, my mom was terminally ill. Man, you know, she was uh, battling. She was battling breast cancer, and you know, also not just the breast cancer, but what in, what she intimately passed on was heart failure. So, uh, you know, but she got to see my last football game. She was able to, you know, make her way to Miami and, and watch me win, you know, my uh, last football game, which is the Super Bowl. It was not a bad way to go out. You know what I'm saying? I would have liked to, you know, spent my whole career in Maryland. But, you know, it was just really hard for me to go back and forth and, um, you know, kind of get her to doctor's appointments and all of that. And, and and train in Baltimore. So I just made the decision to just come home to Arizona and, and spend as much time as I, I could with my mother, you know, before she ultimately left. But, you know, I, I don't regret my decision. At the end of the day, I think I made the best decision that I could, you know, for the situation. And, you know, it worked out the way it did. So. Yeah. Absolutely. It was the right decision. Absolutely. You did the right thing. So let me finally ask you, your next major honor could be induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You appear on the ballot for the first time in 2025. Dude, given how emotional it was to go into the Ravens ring of honor, have you allowed yourself to think about what it might be like to hit the stage in Canton, Ohio? No, I I don't want to think about it because, you know, I, you know, to get it, to get that kind of honor, like it'd be great. But I've heard too many like horror stories, and you know, just like you know, Dion told me, you know, he mentioned about like they'll fly you in, and if you get in, they'll knock on your door, and if you don't, they don't. So I don't I'm like I don't want to, I don't I don't want that kind of feeling. And, you know, unfortunately, Terrell Lawrence, you know, he was definitely he had the uh, the numbers to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But, you know, it took him, I think, three times to get in. And, like, you know, I just don't want one of those stories. But, like, I I would love – don't get me wrong. I would love to absolutely, you know, go in on the first ballot. But if I don't, I don't want to be so heartbroken in that if I – whenever I do finally get in, I don't want it to be all over my face. You know, like, man, you know. So I'm just kind of just – whenever 2025 – comes i'm gonna bury my head in the sand if i come up and they'd be like all right terrell you're in it's gonna be a great day but if i fall short i don't want to be so disappointed so i'm just kind of like trying not to think about it i'm shying away from it so to say i think it's a good approach but to me it's not a question of if it's a matter of when but to your point it is out of your (laughs) control it's out of your control dude you know this t-sis like Dude, I have definitely missed talking to you. It is so good to have you back on. You're still that dude. It's great to get caught up. Thank you very much for doing it. Let's not go so long between visits next time, all right? Let's do it. I I guarantee you, we have me on whenever you want me. 
U.S. Cellular knows how important your kid's relationship with technology is, and they have made it their mission to help them establish good digital habits early on. That's why they have partnered with Screen Sanity, a nonprofit dedicated to helping kids navigate the digital landscape. And for a smarter start to the school year, U.S. Cellular is also offering a free basic phone on new eligible lines, providing an alternative to a smartphone for kids. Start smarter with U.S. Cellular. Visit uscellular.com slash built for us to find out more. Restrictions do apply. Visit uscellular.com for terms. I never expected this Michigan signal stealing controversy to get this controversial or this off the rails or this surreal or this utterly bizarre and whack or jump this many days on this program. I did not see that coming. When I called this a giant spy game, spy v. spy style conspiracy. I had no idea how accurate that description would turn out. That's how it started. But look where we are right now. Yes, there was allegedly a spy network of scouts and also spies spying on the spy network and also allegedly double agent spies leaking information and access from the inside. All of that, apparently. However, I never fully expected full-fledged disguises and stealth infiltration to enter the equation. Full-fledged disguises, full-fledged stealth infiltration behind enemy lines. I never expected that, which is exactly what it looked like when Connor Stallions managed to pull it off. Allegedly... But apparently, certainly looks like it, according to photos and video circulating all over the internet right now. Remember when that name, Connor Stallions, was the craziest thing about the story? Yeah, well, now the craziest thing about that story is that Connor Gelding has apparently been nabbed for prowling on the central Michigan sideline during their game against Michigan State back in September in full CMU gear, as if he was a fully legit CMU staffer. Did you hear what I just said? There are photos and video of a dude who looks exactly like this guy, only dressed in CMU gear on the CMU Sideline. This is not a dude up 10 rows at the 50-yard line. This is a dude wearing a CMU costume on the CMU sideline, rolling tape, if it's him. All right, so again, I don't mean on the sideline, but I mean down in the corner, out of view, and out of range of the rest of the CMU coaching staff. I mean, there are pictures of this dude who looks exactly like Connor Stallions in the same frame. With CMU head coach, wait for it. Fun fact, who's the head coach of CMU? That's right, Jim McElwain. That's right, the same dude that everybody calls the Shark Humper is now the coach of CMU. And everybody calls him the Shark Humper because of another controversial photograph that the internet just decided was Jim McElwain, even though Jim McElwain has always denied it. Internet ain't having it. The internet said, that's the shark humper. We don't care how many times he denies it. We know it's him. We know it's a shark. 
We know it's him, and we know it's him humping the shark. There's jumping the shark, and there's humping the shark. Yet somehow, some way, McElwain is part of another controversial photo involving a questionable identity circulating on social media. The thing is, we now know that McElwain never humped that shark. The, I mean, as much as you want that to be true, it's not true. The internet made that up. But this Stallions thing, this could be a real thing. It sure as hell looks real. I can't confirm that it is, but it looks real. Let me put it to you this way. If it wasn't Stallions in CMU gear on the CMU sideline back on September 1st, wouldn't it be the easiest thing ever to debunk that right now? Couldn't CMU just say, yeah, no, that's not who that is. But I'll tell you who it is. That's Joe, our special teams coach. Or that's Mikey, our quality control guy. They could just come right out and say, no, that's not who that is. But it's this guy. But they're not doing that. They're not doing that. It'd be the easiest thing ever for CMU to dismiss whoever it was that was in those photos. and Or dismiss all the speculation and say, this is who that guy is. Y'all got it all wrong. But that's not what the non-shark humper told the media last night. It's the opposite of what Jim McElwain told the media last night. When he basically identified the person in question as, quote, the sign stealer, end quote. He sounded determined to get to the bottom of how the sign stealer ended up in their gear on their sideline and try to determine what the hell he was doing. Before we go any farther, uh, we've obviously are aware of a uh, picture floating around so with the the uh, the sign stealer guy. Um, you know, our people are doing everything they can to get to the bottom of it. Um, we're unaware, totally unaware of it. Uh, I certainly don't condone it uh, in any way, shape, or form. And. Uh, you know, I do know that his name was on none of the passes that were let out. Um, now we just keep tracing it back and tracing it back and try to figure it out. But it's in good hands with our people. Um, and again, uh, you know, there, there's there's no place in football for that. Really? Then why was he there? Did stop acting like this is some sort of 30-year-old cold case. And we brought in some new sets of eyes to look at it. And there's been new advances in DNA, man. Is it him or not? Is it him or not? The entire internet has seen it already. How could a guy be on the sideline for an entire game and nobody notices? If he's not supposed to be there or you weren't aware of it, wouldn't somebody go, hey, man, who the hell is that guy? And what is he doing right here right now? I don't care how into the game you are. Think of all the people on the sideline. Think of all the people on the sideline who matter. Think of all the people on the sideline who would know. Nobody looked at that guy and said, who the hell is that guy? How did he get our gear? What is he doing on our sideline? Nobody? Come on with that. I just want to know where the idea came from. I want to know if Stallions was that far out there that he was doing stuff like that on his own. You know, I mean, the, the whole thing, if it were him, if it were him, find me something more brazen. Find me something dumber. Find me something more reckless. 
more sloppy. I mean, you're not exactly Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible if you're slipping into that gear on the sideline in the same frame as the head coach, and there are cameras everywhere. How are you going to get away with that? Well, they'll never recognize me. I'll wear the CMU gear. Slider. Same face, dude. You didn't put on one of those Mission Impossible masks where you impersonate somebody else. And you ripped that thing off your face. You know, oh, it's Tom Cruise. No, dude, you were rocking your own face. Oh, he had a voice changer in his Adam's apple and he had a mask. Oh, I didn't know it was him. No, dude, you were rocking your own face. Now, if you'd done that, that'd be something different. I mean, would Jim Harbaugh really put this guy up to something like that? I know Harbaugh's looking for an edge no matter what, but would he really sign off on something like that? Would he really put that guy up to that? I don't know. If it's that guy. If it's that guy. But thing again, even if Harbaugh didn't know and this dude went totally rogue, it's still going to land on Harbaugh's desk. But damn, if this is Stallions, if it is him, and it sure looks like him, and notice the non-shark humper did not deny it. In fact, he called him the sign-stealing guy. Man, this dude, if it is him, is something else. Donning a full CMU coach costume. Excuse me. That even choked me up. Like getting ready for an early Halloween, eh, coach? A CMU coach costume in order to infiltrate the sideline when he could have just bought a ticket in the 10th row behind the bench with much less risk. Man, that takes some sack if that's him. Oh, hey, where is elaborate guy now who had such a problem with me calling this scheme elaborate when the story broke? Hey, elaborate guy is getting dressed up as a coach from another program to infiltrate another team's sideline during a game elaborate enough for you for me to call it elaborate. I'm curious what your threshold on elaborate is. Because to me, elaborate does not even seem strong enough anymore. Elaborate does not describe how elaborate this whole thing really is. So don't even bother running up in here with your excuse of the day, Michigan man. You've already made yourselves look dumb enough for that. It's this guy literally on the sideline in a CMU costume. Man, I hope so. Because the best story of the year is getting better and better and better. Jay and Sebas. What's going on, Jay? How are you? Oh, I'm great, Romy. Thanks for the vine. I'm going to tell you, Romy, I've been a fan since the 90s. I used to listen to you every day in Cleveland. And then, you know, life happened. Like, I got married, moved to Columbus, couldn't access the show. Rediscovered it, like, two years ago, three years ago, via the podcast. And I am just as hooked. The show is better than ever. My man. Probably mostly because it's more of you and less of us than it was in the 90s. But... On to my point, I'm an OSU fan through and through. And so it would be very easy for me to just pile on Michigan over all of this. But I'm not here to do that because of you, honestly, Romy. Your your recent take about hate being the new dopamine, like, really spoke to me. And, And I would say that not only is hate the new dopamine, hate has always been the best dopamine. And, you know... Like, sports fans in general, like, clones specifically, are the tyranny of evil men. But I'm trying hard, Romy, to be the shepherd. 
So let me talk to Michigan man. What you're going through, because OSU, we went through this with Tatgate a few years ago. What you're going through are the five stages of sports grief. You know, like denial, like we didn't do that. Bargaining, well, like maybe we did that, but like everybody does it. Like it wasn't elaborate. Moving on to anger, like we've all heard the anger, like with the dumbass blasts, like dragging Rome's kids for their choice of college. But Michigan man, I want to talk to you about the last two steps. Depression, and I know that depression is creeping into y'all's mind. Okay, like you're watching the game, you're like, what's the NCAA going to do to us? Like, you know deep down that they did it. So, you know, it, it has to be hard to even watch the games at this point. Like, is the, NC, is the NCAA going to drop the hammer on us? Like, if we don't rip a natty this year, like, when will we have the opportunity to do it again? But I want to get you to acceptance, okay? And acceptance is understanding that two things can be true. You can love your team, you can support your team, and you can also say they broke the rules. They did wrong, they didn't live up to the university standards, and they should be held accountable. And if you don't think that I know about acceptance, I've been a Browns fan my entire life. So it's been 40 years of watching that dumpster fire and accepting, okay? The last thing I want to say is I just want to talk directly to the milk-swilling, Makoff flaming out, nervous bird avoiding, weirdo up north. Like, you say that you're a man of integrity, like, you say that you're a man of God. Well, confess your sins, okay? Jesus will forgive you. Michigan man will definitely forgive you. And, well, I mean, the NCAA won't forgive you, but maybe if you fess up, they won't drop the hammer quite so hard on the program that you claim to love. War Miles Garrett literally leaping over fools on the way to the Defensive Player of the Year award. And war you, Romy, for waking up every day and grinding to give us clones the content that we crave. I'm out. I'll tell you what, dude. You know what I crave? More phone calls like that. That was one of the best phone calls of any year that was out of a smack-off. That was a tremendous jungle phone call. Matt in L.A., Hermano, what's up? That's the Mac. Hey, man. Thanks for the vine. It's a rough day, but uh, from the L.A. Coliseum to the Oakland Coliseum to the Roman Coliseum, where today the carcasses of New England West have found themselves this morning as lion's meal because, once again, that Belichick coaching tree produced fruit that was no better than a fig-sized piece of excrement. And Johnny Mack, or Joshy Mack, I should say, is finally unemployed after that pumpkin-haircutted freak that is Mark Davis had enough of Raider Nation sweating him at every turn to break off Joshy. But while Tom Flores and Jim Plunkett ain't walking through that door, pimp, Antonio Pierce is. And if you think that Tone Capone Pierce is going to stand for the garbage that the silver and black has looked like the last eight weeks of this NFL season, you'd be wrong. Because my man looks like he can suit up with Mad Max and the boys and snot bubble fools this weekend come game time himself. 
So I'm looking forward to at least watching a competitive product on the field for the Raider Nation that we deserve because it was just getting ridiculous, man. I mean, I know we're an impatient fan base, but Joshy Mack was in way over his head. So although I'm not exactly happy about it, I'm looking forward to it. War James and Hardened Arteries ordering a pizza on the bench while he's at his Clippers debut tonight. War Sprinkles and Bichita still hiding like the bitch he is in the corn stalks. Come out, homie. It's smack off season all year in the jungle. That's all I got for you, Jimmy. Outro. We are joined right now via Zoom by Sean Casey. Case, what's going on, Sean? How are you? Romy, what's going on, brother? Hey, really quick, I got to throw this out there because my buddy's been asking me to do this for so long, and I've, I've never done it, but I just want to – I have to say one thing, that he wants me to tell you that I went to school with the Lanier Messenger. That's all he said to say. He went to school with the Lanier Messenger. Does that mean that does he Does that mean anything? Oh uh, no, well, it does. It no, no, does. I went, no, I went I went to school. No, I went to school with the near linear messenger. He you went to school with the linear messenger. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. The dude whose handle is at linear messenger on the X. I get it now. All right, dude. Yes. Unbelievable, man. How much did he pay you to say that? So that means nothing then. Okay, okay, let's move on from the linear messenger and let's get let's get let's get to the World Series. <laughs> Dude, that, 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 hey, Case, you're the best case. No, to be fair, that doesn't mean nothing. That means less than nothing. Just playing, man. Just playing, Case. <laughs> All right, Case. So the Rangers, you're the best, dude. The Rangers came into last night's game knowing they'd be without their postseason hero, Adolis Garcia, and Max Scherzer for the rest of the series. And then they go out, Case, and they destroy the D-backs anyway in their stadium. Man, they're tough as hell. How impressed have you been with the grit that the Rangers showed, not only last night, but all season long? Well, they're tough, Romeo, especially the fact that they've won 10 in a row on the road is really pretty, pretty much incredible. Um, you know, they've been road warriors since day one, you know, losing, having to go through the wild card, go through the Rays on the road, and just the way they've played. But this guy right here, Corey Seager, I mean, to me, he is in that MVP race with Otani, with Simeon, and Simeon too. I mean, Simeon hasn't had the great greatest postseason, but what a time to show up in the last couple games. Drives in five last night in game four. Uh, you know, they've just, Bruce Bochy has really just pushed all the right buttons this whole postseason and the whole year. And this Rangers club is good, man. They're up 3-1, coming into game five. You don't know what's going to happen, but they these guys have not lost the game on the road. So who knows? But Corey Seager is so hot right now. And uh, it's a fun team to watch, Romy. Sean Casey joining us. I'm so glad you mentioned Corey Seager. I said that right before he came on, Case. Like, this guy... Fox put up a graphic last night where he is Mr. October. Like, his numbers are actually better than Reggie Jackson's. This is not one-off, any one-off either. He's done this before. Can we put some respect on his name? You brought it up, so I know you get it, Case, but I don't think this guy gets the run or the credit or the respect that he deserves. Do you? Well, I mean, I, I tell you what, I mean, his numbers are, are pretty much incredible, you know, what, he, what he's done. I mean, the fact that you look at it, you know, all – 
over 30 home runs, over 100 RBIs, hit 340. I mean, all year long. That's why when you go back and you look at a couple years ago when he was free agent, you know, Chris Young was like, we got to target Corey Seager. The guy's a winner. He was obviously the MVP of the 2020 World Series with the Dodgers. But the way he goes about his business too, Romy, is just so impressive. I mean, the guy, uh, you know, doesn't get too excited, not too high, not too low. He made an unbelievable uh, play the, uh, the other night defensively too with Chapman in the eighth. So, I agree, man. I don't think this guy gets enough play. I think now, though, with a, this postseason with the Rangers is a little a little different than he was with the Dodgers. Now on the national stage, we're getting to see how good Corey Seager really is, and the game changing bat and and person that he is too. Sean Casey joining us. So, Case, what about the D backs? I love Boach, absolutely love Boach, but I love Tori Lavello as well. I'm not going to throw dirt on these guys yet. Let me ask you this. Regardless of how the series ends, do you feel like the D-backs are more than just this great story, more than a one-year wonder? Are they built to last? You know what? I, I love Tory Lovello, too. I, you know, I got a chance to win a championship with Tory Lovello in 1997, Buffalo Bison. So, you know, I, I, I've always loved Tory as a teammate and, and just watching him become one of the best managers in the game. You know, I think the Diamondbacks are, are such a throwback team when you look at when you look at what they do. I mean, Corbin Carroll is a rookie, but he, you know, he's becoming a star player. Tommy Pham comes in and he's done really well. Uh, Cattell Marte has been, obviously had one of the, uh, as one of the best postseason streaks ever. I mean, this team top to bottom is good. To have Zach Allen and, and Merrill Carroll, Kelly at the top of that rotation is good. But you see right here, I mean, they, they're obviously, they, they got in, they kind of limped into the playoffs, had a really good, uh, you know, late stretch there to, to get in. Nothing, you know, jumps out at these numbers right here when you look at the MLB ranks, but these guys play baseball. And if you've watched them this postseason, they come for you. They're scrappy. They bunt. They steal. They hit with runners in scoring position. They have some thunder in their lineup. Uh, you know, the trade for Gurriel and Moreno was a great one by Mike Hazen. So, you know, I, when I look at the Diamondbacks, I think they're built to last. I think they can get some pieces now moving forward, but don't count them out, Romy. When you go back and look at game four and you look at the last eight, the eighth and ninth. You know, it was 11 to one, I believe. They scored four in the eighth, two in the ninth. Obviously, it was 11 7, too late, but they are going to keep coming to, for you, and they will until this series is over. So do not count the Diamondbacks out just yet. No way. I would not. Sean Casey joining us. Case, I absolutely love the way you keep referencing our graphics, man. What a pro. Dude, you are such a pro. Let me ask you you announced on your podcast <laughs> last week that you were not going to return as the Yankees hitting instructor next season. Ultimately, what did that come down to and I've got to know what was the experience like oh well I think I think that it ultimately came down to just uh you know being home with my daughters and and just the grind you know obviously I did that grind for 15 years and I, I tell you what being a part of the Yankees organization, Romy, to a man, if you're playing Major League Baseball, you always want to wear the pinstripes. So for me to get the opportunity to be next to Aaron Boone, who's a great friend of mine, that whole staff, that team was absolutely incredible. And that guy right there, man, Aaron Judge, I mean, there's nothing better for a coach uh, in, that, in that dugout or in that clubhouse for when you're trying to lead men and your, your, your best person is also the, the best player on the team and one of the be and probably the best player in baseball. So, man, I mean, getting a chance to, to coach Aaron Judge for a few months there in New York is a highlight of my life. 
And I'm so, so beyond grateful for that time uh, that I had uh, uh, with those guys. Sean Casey joining us. Case, you can't say it or won't say it, so I will. Not only did you get a chance to coach Aaron Judge and the others, he had this to say about you. He said that you're, quote, one of the best baseball guys around. End of quote. Aaron Judge said that about you. What's it like for you to hear that? That means a lot, man. Uh, it really means a lot. You know, I think one thing, you know, I think one thing I learned as a coach, and, and you know too, Romy, you lead from the front. And when you come into a situation like that, I came in the middle of the year. So I was trying to put myself into in, in, in my mind frame as a player. Like, how would I want to receive a coach that comes in? And I knew when I came in, you know, you just got to get the trust of the guys. You have to show them you're here to serve. You're, 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 you're here to work and put your time in. And, uh, you know, for Judgey to say something like that, uh, you know, about me is, is very, very humbling. And you know what? I, I tell you what, Romy, to be, a guy, be around a guy like Aaron Jones, who just won the Roberto Clemente Award for a good reason with the foundation that he does and the person that he is, to be around a guy like this, I'm better for, for having spent a few months with Aaron Judge. And everyone in that clubhouse is in, in, in that city is better. And you can see why they gave him that big money because he came as advertised. You know, I think sometimes you hear good things about people, but when you get to experience them every single day, that's when it goes to another level. And for me, um, being able to be next to Aaron Judge and, and coach Aaron Judge for those for those months was was one of the best experiences of my career. All right, and he's not wrong in what he says about you, Case. You are one of the, quote, best baseball guys around. Now, when I listen to you answer that question that way, it leads me to this. You said something recently that you like to get up and work the perspective muscle. Sean, what does that mean, the perspective muscle and working it? <laughs> you know what? I, I, I have this – I. I have a journal. I have a journal that I that I do every morning, and you know it's just something that I do, Romy. You know, you, we've talked about this before. I mean, you have things you do. I have things that I do. I, I just I feel like you know keeping perspective is really important. And you know, one of the things that I that I write down every morning in my journal, like the odds of being here as a human are one in four hundred twenty trillion. So I always say thank you for that chance to do one more day. I always, the, the, our, our heart beats 100,000 times a day. So I, I, I write in my journal, hey, thank you for another chance to have that blood pumping through my body for 100,000 more, heartbeat, 100, more heartbeats today. 20,000 breaths I'm going to take, 30 pounds of oxygen. Like, I just, I try to put it in perspective because, you know, a big thing for me is, you know, when I look at my days and, and, I, and I look at my life, I, I have to say, what a gift. It's an absolute gift to be here. I don't want to lose perspective of that. And every day in my journal, when I write it with intention, I, you know, I really mean it. And when I lay my head down at night, no matter what's happened, good or bad or ups and downs of the day, you know, I know I get another shot to do it tomorrow. As the absolute best, Sean Casey joining us. Case, what do you think? Does this thing end tonight, game five, or does Arizona live to fight another day? You know what, Romy? Arizona's been so scrappy all year long. I really believe that they don't lose three in Arizona. They scrap to get one out, send it back to Texas, and see what happens. Uh, I, I don't think I think Arizona finds a way to get game five with Gallon on the mound tonight, and then we'll see what happens. I think you're right. I think you're right. Remember, MLB Network's live coverage of game five gets underway at 3 p.m. Eastern from Globe Life Field. Sean Casey, the mayor, my guest. Case, you're the absolute best. Appreciate you so much, dude. Thanks for doing that. Romy, you're the best, dude. Thanks for having me on, and uh, I'll talk to you soon, brother. You got it, Case. Be good. Sean Casey.